The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is a special newscast. It's not even really a newscast here. It's just a special podcast because Alex and I were on a uh, on a panel at Secure World last week out at the Cable Center. Hopefully some of you were there. I know some of you were there, but those who weren't might want to in- enjoy the the interview that we did here. I had the opportunity to moderate the panel and we had uh, a few great guests on there. So you guys can listen to that interview in its entirety coming up here. And then we'll be back with you in just another week or two with the, the October episode of the podcast with another interview. So enjoy. This is Larissa Thomas, CISO at Knox Health. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. Closing keynote. This is our uh, one of our very rare uh, podcast recordings that we're doing on the road. Usually, we're recording from the uh, the headquarters of Colorado Equal Security in our in our very exclusive studio. Um, but today, we get to we, we get to come out and, and, jo- and join the folks here at Secure World. Uh, we're going to talk quite a bit about career pathing, what it looks like to move up in your career, um, not necessarily resulting in a CISO. What what else is out there? Um, as we as we get going, we got to get to know who our other panelists are, and they come from a really a variety of different perspectives. We're not going to just have a bunch of groupthink. Um, anyone who's ever listened to me and Alex talk before, you know, we we love to disagree. We love to find ways to have different perspectives, and that's what we're here to do today. Um, so as we do introductions, as you get to know the the other panelists here, um, I'm asking them to tell us professionally like a little bit about your own background, but also as a part of this, I want you to tell us an example of a person who you've known who's come up into a leadership role within the security space or adjacent to security, who maybe came from what you consider to be a non-traditional path. So why don't we just work, you know, we got everyone sitting under their picture. Let's start over at the end with Franny and work back this way. Okay, we're gonna do the domino to start out. Yes, ma'am. Okay, Um, so um, I'm Franny Matthews, president and CEO of Colorado Technology Association, and my background is the, um, I have been in, um, IT, um, mostly large um, large tech. I worked for IBM for 18 years, and I was running sales teams. Um, and so I uh, now it's five years in on uh, leading the Colorado Technology Association. So if you look, I'm different than everybody else on the panel. <laughs> so one of these things is not like the other, but not in the same way, because each of you are technologists in in uh, security, and I am a generalist um, in technology. Um, I think one of, uh, you know, when I was thinking about the question of who came up from a a non-traditional path, um, a friend of mine is VP in security for Bank of America. Uh, She was a bartender. (laughs) Uh, She she does have a four-year degree in a non, you know, security-focused environment. Uh, She also did curriculum for teaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity for having general exposure in many ways uh, that will uh, put you into a path for, uh, you know, great security career. Cool. I thought you were going to say you were the one with the the best head of hair amongst all of us here, since we're all receding and going gray here. I'm the one that spends the most money in my hair. uh, That's another story. 
But uh, no, so I'm, I'm Richard Stainings. Uh, I'm honored to be a professor here at DU. Um, I teach master's programs in ICT, health informatics, and uh, healthcare management. So if any of you are interested in doing a master's, come see me afterwards, right? I don't have discount codes or anything like this. This is after. <laughs> this is DU, right? So uh, you know, none of that here. But I also uh, am chief, in, uh, chief security uh, chief security strategist at a biomedical startup by the name of Silera. Um, it's a New York-based company that is using a lot of advanced technology to really change the security of medical devices and IoT systems, right? A lot of AI, which those of you that were in my presentation earlier this afternoon would have probably got an earful already and probably not going to sleep too well tonight. But, uh, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a, lot, a lot of new technologies that we're implementing in order to, in, to orchestrate and to automate and seamlessly integrate with the existing technologies um, in the space. Um, I have, uh, I've got a background as a CISO, CIO, CTO, and a couple of other C-level jobs as well, uh, which I can't even remember what they stood for at the time. But anyway, uh, I survived and came out the other side. Um, I, uh, before joining Silera, um, I used to lead uh, Cisco's Global Healthcare Cybersecurity Group, which had me follow our then president, John Chambers, around the world to, uh, you know, as he went and met with presidents and, prince and uh, prime ministers and princes and sheikhs and sultans and everyone else at the top of the, the stack in the local country and told them about cybersecurity. And it was my job to come in and actually prove that, yeah, mm. we could do it, right? You know, what, what uh, John had said. So my example, back to, to Rob's question here, is uh, in a previous role, I was working um, as a consultant in a health system uh, down, in, uh, down in the south of the country. I won't mention too where, uh, too close. And um, I was assisting the, uh, the CISO down there to implement this newfangled thing called multi-factor authentication and strong authentication controls uh, across the hospital, much to the disdain of the medical staff that hated the idea of that, you know, whatsoever. Their idea of logging into a system was a four-digit number, and if it was five digits, then they couldn't remember it, right? And if they had to change it, then, you know, everything stopped in the hospital, you know? Um, it was that kind of uh, era. This is early days of HIPAA. One of the guys that I was tasked with working with I'd come, just started at security, and he'd come in from desktop support. Uh, rather large gentleman, as the South is re renowned for. And uh, this guy had basically dropped out of school, uh, had done very little, and he was just jacking around in, in IT and had been, uh, been offered a job in cybersecurity. He and I uh, were traveling uh, around uh, the state um, to various hospitals, working together. And, you know, I obviously planted a seed in his head about, you know, Get yourself, you'd get your degree, right? Get some certifications, get some qualifications, right? Um, you could go far. He was a really smart guy, but he was just bored. And during the course of about six months of us traveling across, uh, across the state to various hospitals, this guy would load up the trunk of my rental car with massive manuals, you know, for, you know, from ISC squared and ISACA and ISA and everything else, right? And, GR, uh, and uh, GA, uh, SANS uh, GIAC. And he proceeded to accumulate about 12 qualifications in the space of the six months I was there. 
Uh, he also signed up for his bachelor's degree and completed that. And at the same time was working on a master's degree. Don't ask me how he got in on the master's program. And then towards the end of his master's degree, he also managed to get himself a, a, an MBA. Uh, super smart guy and you know he went on to become CISO of the health system and uh, was very successful but this is obviously a guy that came up from a very non-traditional background he got married at 17 and you know had kids and you know was never really had never really thought about his career till till he met me so then it was all downhill hmm. <laughs> awesome thanks Richard uh, Hello, everyone. Uh, Alex Wood. I'm the, the Chief Information Security Officer for a company called Uplight. Uh, we make software for the utility power industry to, uh, among other things, help uh, decarbonize the power grid, uh, which I think is pretty cool. I've been doing uh, information security and, and IT and technology for 20-some-odd years now across a lot of different places. Um, I've, I've been in telecom and healthcare and oil and gas and, and lots of other uh, verticals, but uh, kind of all centering around uh, information security and cybersecurity. Uh, also the, the co-host of Colorado's best podcast, Colorado Security. Um, and uh, I think, so the story that, that I have uh, related to someone coming up in a non-traditional way, uh, several jobs ago, um, we had an intern program and we ended up uh, hiring an intern that was a career changer. And uh, you know, in, in talking to her, we discovered that you know, she had originally done some work in technology earlier in her career, but then uh, decided that she wanted to go back to school and get, she got her PhD uh, in biology and was doing, I believe, genetics research and did that for a number of years. And then when, uh, when one of her children was getting ready to go to college, she was trying to convince him that he should go study cybersecurity. And as she was doing this, she had this epiphany that she was trying to convince him because that was what she wanted to do. Um, and it, it was something that she had found always fascinating and interesting to her. So she again uh, took a pivot, um, sort of started uh, back at the beginning, did a boot camp, uh, got this internship with us, and then uh, went on to, to, uh, to have a great, uh, great career so far, and, and now she is running the, the privacy program for a, a software company here in town, doing great stuff. And so I, th I think you know it, people can come from anywhere uh, to come into this industry, which is great. Yeah, love that. Um, I, I asked them to tell the story about folks they know who've who've had a kind of a non-traditional path into security roles, um, because I think it is so important that we understand that there is not one right path. There's not even 10 right paths. There's an infinite number of paths that can lead to great places. Um, and you know, as a, you know, myself, I, a little bit of an intro for myself. I'm, I'm currently uh, just Colorado Equal Security co-founder. I don't have a job. It's been fantastic. I took the summer off. Uh, previous to that, I I've run security at Red Canary, um, Ping Identity, Pulte Financial, some other companies before that. Um, in those different roles, I've hired a lot of people. And I, I'm going to give you guys like my biggest tip. And if you, anyone familiar with Moneyball, the, the movie and the book about the early 2000 A's, looking at what they did, it, you know, if, if you're a baseball fan, and I was a pretty big baseball fan at that time, what the A's did is they would, they would go sign players that had really high on-base percentages, not a lot of home runs, not a lot of RBIs. And like, people might have thought, oh, the magic is they're trying to get this high on-base percentage. No, the magic was that the A's were finding people who were undervalued by the market. Right? And, and we live in this space today where secure, people with an, an experience 
in a security role. If you got security on your title at some previous role, you're overvalued by the market. That's my perception. And there are all kinds of other people who are not overvalued by the market. So as a hiring manager, my money ball play, and this is my advice for anyone hiring, is go find someone who doesn't have security on their title, who's really good at the thing you're trying to secure. If you're trying to secure your cloud, go find someone who knows how to, how to work in the cloud. If you're trying to secure a network, find someone who's great at the network. That, that person who knows how to use the system, who can be, who, they can easily be taught what, what, is, what are the concepts of security that we're, we're trying to enforce. That's, that's my concept for Moneyball. Until, until everyone else figures it out, it still works, right? until the market um, equalizes there. Um, so, the, so all these examples they give, these, these are folks who, over time, if you identified them at the right part of your career, you could have hired a great person to work on your team um, for, for less, less competitively, less money. Over time, they build a great career. You build a great team out of it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, about what it looks like to, to move up in your career here in security. Um, so my, my next question, uh, and we're going to start with you, Alex, is, is what does career advancement look like? And, and you know, does this necessarily have to be a, you know, a people leader, an individual an individual contributor, entrepreneurship, what does career advancement even look like? Yeah, and I, I think that's a great question. And, and one of the ways that I think about it is a lot like uh, what you said about path into to security itself is I, I don't think that there is uh, a right way or a wrong way to advance. There, there's lots of different ways that people can choose. Um, sort of in my, mo my own mind, as I was earlier in my career, um, I was... I was much more technology focused, you know, individual contributor, and there was uh, there was sort of this perception that, um, you know, you had to it, the best path forward was to continue to be um, a hardcore technologist. If you did anything out outside of that, you were kind of selling out, right? Like, you know, you're oh, you're you're gonna go into management. Ugh, you know, sorry that, that you know sell out. What are you doing? Um, and so I I think I. You know, I personally pigeonholed myself a lot earlier in my career by, uh, I guess, sort of delaying the inevitable of, of moving uh, into more of a, a leadership management kind of role. Uh, and maybe I would have done that earlier in my career if I, I wouldn't have sort of had that, uh, that stigma, that idea in my mind. Um, but one of the things that, that I have seen also um, that I think has been really important also is that the many times you get to a certain level as a technologist and you, you, you hit the top level, right? Like there's nowhere else that you can go, so your only choice is now to go into a program or a management type position. Um, and, and some of the, the companies that I've worked for more, more recently um, have been more thoughtful about that in thinking about what the levels for technologists are. And so as you move up, there are, there are ways to continue to still be a technologist and be uh, be very technical, but um, but not necessarily contribute the same way as as someone earlier in their career. So I think um, finding some place that values that and has a path for people in in both technical and non technical uh, careers, I think, is important. Richard, I'd love your perspective, especially as a professor, what and, and as an executive. What have you seen? And well, of course, as a professor, I'm pitching here at higher education, so all of you can all sign up at DU okay. here for. Courses we have, yeah. You know, no, I'm not going to go down that path, but you know as well. I mean, so there are, you know, when I started um, in in this profession, uh, cybersecurity wasn't a word, right? Uh, and when all of us started here, cybersecurity didn't exist. We were risk managers. We were information data managers. We were, you know, compliance 
people, right? And, and slowly this profession has emerged out of the combination of discrete skills, right? People that had networking expertise, that had compliance expertise, that had GRC expertise, right? And we've come together to, to kind of build out the profession that it is today. So it, it's, it's an emerging profession, um, and there are many, many ways into it. And still today, the vast majority of people that come into a cybersecurity profession come in from the side. They come in from you know, a risk management or a networking or a cloud uh, IT uh, perspective, or maybe even a, a policy perspective, right? Or a governance perspective, right? There's, there's lots and lots of skills here. It's no longer the nerdy, technical, pen tester type uh, role that it was perceived to be 15, 20 years ago. You know, um, so I'll give you an example of my earlier career. Um, I, I spent many years at PricewaterhouseCoopers here in Denver, and PwC, after the merger between Coopers Lybrand and, and Pricewaterhouse, decided that they were losing a lot of top talent um, in the IT and cybersecurity space uh, that didn't want to become partner. The pro career progression in the big four was a partnership, right? Where you buy in as an equity partner and you, uh, you know work your buns off and you earn vast amounts of money and get to play golf every Friday with customers, right? But there were a lot of people that didn't want to do that. They wanted to develop deep technical expertise in different disciplines. Uh, and eventually the company recognized they were losing these people uh, because they were on a different career path than what had been prescribed by this partnership model. Uh, so they created a, a role for individual contributors that could be at the top of their game, could make seriously good money, but not have to play golf on a Friday afternoon with customers, right? That they could, you know, read journals and, you know, and, and do things that they were interested in and that, you know, their, uh, their role uh, was, was more interested in. And I think, you know, there's some lessons to be learned here. I have, I've risen up through the, through the ranks. I've, I've hit the C-level titles and I've come back down again now, right? Because being there, you know, getting the war wounds and the T-shirts and everything else is is not something that I'm really interested to do. And to be honest, if you want to be a CISO, it's a very, very stressful job today, right? You can read online about CISO burnout, uh, and it's phenomenal. It's a wide, widespread problem, particularly if you're in a, a particularly operational role, right, or a risky company that's not investing in a big enough team and big enough tools, because you're the guy whose head's on the block. The block, you know, it stops, stops with you, right? So I think there are many options here for people that want to either go up and come back down again and contribute in an individual way, or individuals that don't, aren't interested in, in leadership, who aren't interested in talking to, to executives. Um, and a lot of good cybersecurity people may not be good leaders, right? Mm -hmm. And good leaders may not be good cybersecurity people. So I think you have to recognize where your strengths lie and channel your career progression along what keeps you happy at night, right? What helps you to sleep? Right, because I didn't sleep much when I was a CISO. Right. Yeah. If you have anything, new question, or yeah. you want me to? Do you, do you want to? Or yeah, no? I mean, um, you know, just in general, I think I, I, I think you give great advice on you know what makes you happy, whatever. Yeah, and I, you know, follow your bliss, blah blah blah. <laughs> you got to pay the bills, you know. <laughs> but the reality is that you tend to be really good Certainly at something. If you're a DU student. <laughs> I didn't say that, by the way. <laughs> um, you, you tend to be good at 
at things that you love. And so I think that, um, I think from a career path perspective, it's almost the paradox of choice because you can go down uh, different um, paths uh, and, and I think sometimes I, I talk to technologists that get really worried I'm going to lose my skills if I go down that path. But, you know, it's not like you can't jump branches, you know, it's, uh, and, and the technology is changing so quickly. So um, I think um, it, it, I, I want to talk about durable skills because that's what I hear most from employers, that they want curiosity. Curiosity is the number one thing that I hear. Mm. Uh, I want problem solving, critical thinking skills, what's going on in a room. And so if you've got the base technology capabilities and you have those durable skills, it's really a, you know, a, a very um, powerful uh, package. But you, you, know, you don't see that necessarily on job descriptions. Yeah, yeah I, wanna, I, wanna, I, lo I love to disagree. I'm not going to disagree with Frank. I'm going to disagree with Richard just for a second. You, I think you're conflating leadership and management as you, as you were giving your answer. And I think it's really important for us to look at career development to probably become some kind of a leader. That could be a technical leader who's leading you know, us to you know, adopt new practices. This could be the person who, who first introduced us to the cloud or is now currently introducing us to how we can use generative AI in our organization without them having a team underneath them. It can be the, because they don't want to manage people because managing people sucks. Like, I'm not saying it does, but maybe it does. Oh, it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> Especially at appraisal time of the year, where you got to write 140 <laughs> appraisals and come up with something original for yeah. all those people but, that Well, this is how it, generative AI is so useful in the workplace. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay. Go. Okay. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna si to sidebar <laughs> on this. We were on a panel together in February, and he admitted he wrote a poem to his wife mm. for Valentine's Day via chat GPT. <laughs> I did, I did tell her. I did. I, I told her. She wasn't going to get a poem without the chat GPT. She said it was pretty good. <laughs> it wasn't like you much could have than, you could have like the heartfelt one or the computer one. There didn't was she a, say it was much better? Oh, than... it was much better than I would have written for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so acknowledging that hey, part of part of career advancement is taking a leadership role of some kind, right? A leadership within your discipline. I'd love to hear you know, your guys' perspective on what that might look like other than running a team. Have you guys seen examples of that kind of leadership? It looks like Franny wants to talk. I want, please. Please talk. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I have been in uh, situations where I'm, I have positional leadership and it makes it a lot easier to, to sometimes say we're gonna go this direction because you've got a title associated with it. But I think the you know, team lead or even individual contributors that you know, know what the job is that, that you're being asked to do and then you're able to fan it out and have, um, you know, culture is, is really, you know, it's a participatory sport. Mm -hmm. And if you're... Um, if you're showing up in an enthusiastic, hey, what if we did it this way? Um, you you are in fact a leader. You're you're influencing everybody around you. If you show up and just you know check the box, um, that's not a that's not helpful. But I I don't think there's any in the hierarchy. I don't think there's any leader that doesn't love somebody that understands what their mission is and then does this to help other people. Uh, do the bigger mission. Yeah, I, I would add to that, do what makes you happy, right? Do what motivates you, right? What are you motivated most by? 
is that building a big team and being the big boss and getting the, the corner office and the, the dedicated parking slot? Or is it a thought leadership role or a technology leadership role, right? Um, there, there's lots of options in, in cybersecurity. Um, I, would, I would advise you to you know, pursue something that you know, makes you happy, quite frankly, because you're going to do it for a long time. Uh, at, at Uplight, for example, we have five levels of, uh, well, of many job types, but of engineers specifically. And that, that top level is a principal. And part of being a principal, it's defined in the behaviors of that role that you are a, a technical leader, right? Like your job is to do those things that you were talking about, Rob, to bring in new technologies, to, uh, to advance those, to, to push them out through the organization, right? You're, you're the one that is coming up with what is next, the things that we need to be using, where we need to be going. Uh, so anyone that's in that position, that's, that's the expectation when you go into it. Uh, so you know, if you're going to get there, that's part of what you have to be doing. Yeah, that's great. All right, Franny, I'm looking at you for this question. You know, th those of us who, who do security, this, our skills are mostly transferable across different industries, right? Alex mentioned that he's run security programs in oil and gas and healthcare and financial services. Um, that said, uh, you know, having in, even though it's transferable, having really good in-depth knowledge in your industry is a really good way to differentiate, right? As an oil and gas person is looking to hire a security person, they'd love to have someone who's done it somewhere else and they can bring in best practices from a competitor. You know, as you, as you look, you know, lots of folks in the room here who may be looking for their, you know, to, to plan a career path, what industries are going to be strongest here in Colorado over the next, call it decade, maybe however far out you can kind of see what's going to be growing here for us? Where well, should they be good, become excellent? Yeah, um, a, a, a few things I, I would say is that um, we just did a study um, last year, and so uh, Colorado is one of the most, uh, it's the second most concentrated tech economy in uh, in the United States. The first is Massachusetts. Mm. What I mean by that, when you look at all the jobs that are available, uh, you know, what a high percentage is tech-related jobs. Um, that's one way to slice it. The other way to slice it is where are the tech jobs? And so if you look at uh, industries, 66% of tech-related jobs are outside of technology industry um, you know, vertical. So um, I say that because tech is ubiquitous, and so in Colorado in particular, there's a lot of different choices. I think you look at it, am I cutting out? Am, is this a little weird? No, I'm you're, not sure just, you're just spitting in the microphone. <laughs> hey, I'm on. close enough to spit on you, so be careful. Yeah, um, so, um, you know, you look at, like, telecommunications, we were the cap, the, you know, the worldwide capital of, of cable, and as a result, we've got really strong telecommunications. Oil and gas is, is declining. Um, clean tech is increasing, and so um, healthcare is, is, you know, we all get sick, we all... <laughs> And, and we need yeah. and we need more automation and we need more security so those are some of the uh, some of the industries but I think the ability to go from one industry to the next with your technical skills if you've got a backpack full of durable skills you kind of have your ticket written yeah. 
I would just add to that, uh, if, I, if I'm allowed to comment here, Rob, is that yeah, you need to you need to look at the regulatory compliance framework, right? So if you're in if you're in oil and gas or electrical distribution, you need to understand NERCSIP. You need to understand the regulatory framework. You need to understand safety, right? Because that's a really important part of that particular industry. Um, if you're um, in healthcare, you need to understand HIPAA, and you need to be able to speak the language of the business people that you're working with, whether that's doctors or whether that's hospital CEOs, right? Uh, they, if you come in from a different industry, you need to be able to pick up that dictionary and understand that, that mass of, of terminology, right? In order to be taken seriously, really, right? But if you were in oil and gas and you were primarily in, or you had a lot of uh, IoT and OT experience, that leaping into healthcare, leaping into telecommunications, yeah. Yeah. you know, that, that specialty A lot goes. of the principles are the same when you're talking about SCADA devices, yeah. right, versus, you know, medical devices, right, that are IoT-based, right? So a lot of the principles are the same. You just need to pick up the nuances of those particular, you know, industrial, you know, concerns, right? I wound up getting a telecommunications master's because I was working in the network and did not understand anything they were saying. And one of my customers said, just take a class, just just take a class. And cool. so, yeah. yeah. Yep. Cold storage now. Yes, oh. I'm sorry. The, you know, as you talk, a little bit of, hey, it, it does, it's transferable, it's not transferable. Here, here's my take. It, yes, it's transferable, but, You'll be, able, you'll be able to get a job moving between industries, but do you want to get a job or do you want to get the best job? And the best job is competitive. The best job, the one that, that all the best people want, if that's the one you want to get, the more specialized you are, the, the better, you know, if you can walk into that healthcare organization and you can, you quote HIPAA, that matters to those folks. And if there's a difference between you and the person next to you, that difference could make it, could be it, right? So if you know what industry you're interested in and you want to get the best job in that industry, be specialized there. Like being being broad based, yeah, you're gonna get a job. There's plenty of jobs, but if you wanted the best job, I think you want to be the best for that job. I'll just add one point to that: is that is really industrial uh, cross uh, pollination, right? Um, I spent many years uh, leading security at a large financial services firm, and I was able to bring into healthcare when I came mm. back to healthcare a lot of the technologies and the and the principles and and processes that we used in, in financial services, which admittedly was 20 years ahead of healthcare at that point, and to, you know, kick healthcare's kicking and screaming, you know, into, uh, you know, the, 20th, the 21st century, yeah. right? So I think there's that cross-pollination can be very valuable, right? Yeah. All right, I'm going to combine, for our panelists, I'm going to combine four and five is where we have, we don't have a ton of time left. Um, well, I wanted to talk about the role of formal education and certifications, and I know they're not the same thing, but I'd love to hear your guys' take on, you know, how, how important are these? You know, how important is getting that bachelor's, that master's degree, you know, even, even further than that? What certifications matter? Is it, is it just early career that it matters? Is it, is it important later on? Love to hear your take. Richard, I'll throw it to you first. I know this is something you were interested in talking about. Well, of course, as, as a professor, I'm going to tell you that, you know, you need to get master's degrees and everything else, and, you know, you're on the DU campus. But, uh, no, seriously, I think uh, th there are a couple of points here. One is that, Cybersecurity is largely seen by, you know, the Martians that habit uh, that uh, habit the HR office at most companies as being a profession, um, and as a profession, they're looking for a bachelor's degree for you to get a foot in the door. Right? We all know that today you can send off ten thousand resumes, right, 
or 10,000 applications to a job, and it's all downsized by computer algorithms that determine whether you're going to get a callback from you know, the Martian in the HR office, right, that doesn't understand cybersecurity, doesn't understand what's involved in the role, but that's the, the cut-down criteria. Um, so the, the profession is changing. Um, it's diversifying a lot, which is great, because it used to be a boys' club when I started in it, and now we have some great women leaders. It's still it, a boys' club. It's still a boys' club, but we got some, we got some great female CISOs now that are, are, are icons for all the, the teenage girls out there that are thinking, what do I do when I grow up, right? And that didn't exist 15 years ago. Right? Yeah, but it's, I, I, okay, I'm allowed to say the word token. <laughs> it's it, 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 it's, it's inconsequential, the number of women that have gotten into cyber About 11%, is that about right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's still too low, way too low. You'll be pleased to know that on my courses at DU, I've got about 60% women. So wow. that's a great sign for the future, right? So, yeah. um, so the second point I wanted to make is really around the certification versus qualification perspective, right? Um, you'll all see that there's, you know, ISACA, uh, it was, or no, ISA was here today, not ISACA, um, but ISC Squared was exhibiting here again. There's a lot of organizations that are making a profession out of certifications, and you know I'm not going to diss them for it, uh, but this is a, a money-making you know uh, concern to some degree, right? So a lot of people that are at my level in my career have, have abandoned that whole compliance, that whole CPEs that you need to get and paying the fees to these organizations every, every year. They are highly, highly valuable when you're starting your career for the first 15 years, perhaps, in order for you to, to progress. There are still some organizations that require you to have a CISSP if you want to become the CISO, uh, those sorts of things. But I'd say they're a lot less important than they were. Um, a degree will stay with you forever, right? Uh, you have that qualification, uh, academic qualification, for the rest of your life. It doesn't evaporate if you don't pay your annual fees to the certifying agency or don't get your CPEs in. So, Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, I, I've got a, a couple of points. One, um, I think certifications are important, but maybe not for the reason that uh, that you would normally think that they are. I, I think there is definitely work that you have to put in to be able to be certified, right? So you you might be an expert in something, but it is it still takes you effort and work to be able to study and pass an exam. So as, as someone who is a hiring manager, I see that someone put it, put an effort to do that. Now, I don't think that they necessarily should be required because um, you also have people that will just get certifications to be certified. That doesn't mean they're good at what they do. So I, I think it does show effort, and I think it's important because of that. Um, I think it, as, uh, as hiring managers, I think it's important for, for us to push back on requiring certain things like certifications or degrees Right there, there's lots of different ways that you can get to, to where you need to be. It, and it's really, can you do the job, not what the, the qualifications that are, are on your resume. So obviously there, is, there are some uh, drawbacks to, you know, you mentioned the, the HR piece of this, getting through the door and getting to the right people. But, um, but I think we need to, to kind of push those requirements away. Um, talking about uh, degrees themselves, uh, I am also a big fan uh, of education in general. Um, I actually, uh, I'm a DU alum. I got my <laughs> master's at, at DU. Um, and I went back to get my master's, and I got it in a, in a cybersecurity concentration. 
very early on when the, it was sort of a new program there. Um, and I realized that I knew a lot of the stuff that I was learning already. So I, I didn't get a whole lot out of the cybersecurity portion of it. But it's funny because I didn't take, I was not a computer science person in my undergrad. Um, I learned a lot more in the core classes in my master's degree uh, for fundamental concepts, you know, things like enterprise architecture and other things like that, that I had never been formally trained in before that, you know, I, I kind of knew and had picked up along the way. But having courses in those, I think, was uh, was really useful for me in kind of getting a broader picture of, uh, of things. And so... Um, so I think it is good to go back and, and do more formal education because it forces you to learn some of those those types of things as well. Yeah, I, I got a follow up for you, Alex. Yeah. If you you hire people, if you were hiring someone and you had to choose between one who had a certification on their resume, I don't know, CISSP or whatever, the the right certification for the job you're hiring is, the other person you're hiring is someone who doesn't have any certifications but they have project experience, they've, they've been working on open source projects and you know, equivalently you know, six months of open source work versus a six month certification. Which of those is more interesting to you? Uh, I, I would probably say the experience because I know that they have done it. Um, the, I, I think uh, I, might, I might talk to both of the people, right? So um, yeah. obviously it, it all depends, right? You, um, you can have the experience, but you might not have been good those six months that you did it. Um, and you could have gotten the, the certification, but you know you did it just to put it on paper and forgot everything that you learned immediately after getting it. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll tell you, like when I when I'm hiring, I'm always looking for people who are so curious that they just want to get their hands in the thing, right? And and whether that's doing bug bounties, especially if I get someone who's not a developer who does bug bounties, like I know how hard that is for them because because that's me. Like I know how hard it is, and like for them to go out and, and spend the effort trying to figure that out, like they're curious, they want to they want to better themselves, and they can show it off. I, I love to see that type of a work. Um, and, and you know, you talked about getting your master's degree. Um, Twelve years into my career, I went back to get my master's, and, and at that point, I was I was debating between a security master's and or an MBA, and I ended up getting an MBA um, because I figured you know, a decade of experience kind of kind of checks the box on security, but how do I broaden? My, my knowledge of the business ended up being, for me, like a, a, really, a really useful part to help me in my career. Not, not that I believe I got a job because my resume said I had an MBA. In fact, I don't think it makes much of a difference to say it or not. But my ability to have conversations with other leaders in the business really was elevated by understanding their perspective and knowing, better knowing how their functions worked. All right, we have one more question. And then I think we might have questions from the audience, maybe. Um, but I got one more question first. Um, this is for you, Franny. You know, according to uh, uh, your your recent, uh, probably six months ago now, your recent survey that we talked about back in February, um, the, uh, the the tech industry pretty broadly has not done a good job of creating a diverse workforce. You already hit on this earlier. Um, I specifically want to know what can we as panelists, but more more broadly, the people listening in the room and listening to the podcast, what can we do to create a, a broader, more inclusive workplace um, in our daily jobs? Well, it, it kind of goes back to the previous question. We've got, uh, in the United States, we have a track that this is what education looks like. And I'm a huge believer in higher education, but we've, we've put it on a conveyor belt. You graduate, you know, K through 12, and then you go directly into, uh, you know, 
four-year degree program, or uh, that seems to be what we have defined as success. The reality is not everybody's doing that. Not everybody is willing to sign up for how expensive it is, and they're, they are not willing to go into debt. So we've got a huge population of talent in the that, going back to your money ball, that um, could be going different paths. So I, that's where I would start is is uh, looking at different paths to, you know, maybe not a four-year degree. Um, I also think that, you know, you want to look at people that may have started in one area of your company and really show a tremendous amount of leadership that we talked about, not just doing this, but doing this, that really are underemployed and mm -hmm. that you could upskill within your own organization. I also, one of the things that is bothersome to me is, oh, we just don't have the pipeline. We didn't get the applications. What are you doing? I mean, because the population shows that we've got an ecosystem of humans that are, you know, uh, available for work. What, what in the process is eliminating them before they even apply? Mm. So I think it's a, you know, we're not in the industrial age anymore. We're not in cookie cutter ways of getting thing to to places. So, how do you look at your um, your recruiting to make sure that you're not fil over filtering and going back to the algorithm? Like it made me cringe when you talked about it. That if you don't have this on a resume, you just you didn't know that somebody started working at the age of 15 and they're mm. contributing to their family and they're architecting a big life that maybe somebody that had the privilege of being able to go directly into a four-year degree and never worked a minimum wage job, and yet that second individual has is more likely to get through the system. Hmm. So that was a long answer for you got to do answer. things differently. Good answer. It was a good answer for Franny. So um, I, would I would say career aspirations start at a much, much younger age than in high school or at your four-year degree, right? We're not training people in the United States about STEM, right, science and technology careers at a young enough age. You compare us to China, Korea, Japan, right, most of, of East Asia, right, these people are running, you know, high schoolers are running circles around, you know, bachelor's graduates in the United States mm. here and their, and their science uh, and technology capabilities, right? They have a massive pipeline before they even get to university of people equipped in the basic fundamentals of technology architecture, right? Or, you know, software engineering um, or, you know, cybersecurity, right? Uh, so we're not doing that early enough and that's a problem of the education system here. The second point, and this is my personal opinion, nothing to do with DU, is why the hell are we doing four-year bachelor's degrees here? The rest of the world does it in three, right? We have a whole load of bullshit courses, essentially, that fill out uh, uh, curriculums and charge students vast amounts of money to study things that are utterly irrelevant to them, right? Because and transferability of yeah. courses from another institution. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's... It's ridiculous because it's an equalizing, it was set up to equalize the different schools, right? So if you live on the nice side of town, then you had a good high school education. If you live on the, the crappy side of town, then, you know, you can maybe spell your name, right? And it used to be that way in the United States. That's why we have busing and, and everything else. But there's no real need for us to have a four-year degree, in my personal opinion, right? So if you've got kids and they're thinking about where do I go for a bachelor's, 
go to Germany. It costs you 500 euros for the complete degree in Germany, and it's in English, right? Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of options here versus paying $75,000 a year to go to, a, a, you know, Harvard or Stanford or, or whatever, you know, to get your bachelor's. But I think, I, I think also we need to be looking at, you know, uh, where is the real value proposition within, within the education system, right? Uh, it used to be that bachelor's degrees were a real differentiator for everyone. Now they're ubiquitous. Everyone has a degree pretty much, right? Um, uh, and we're now forced to, you know, to get to, you know, master's levels in order to to learn the point skills that are going to take you through your career. And we've got a lot of materials at the master's level that really should be taught at a bachelor's level, in, in my opinion. But there's one other point I want to make, and I'm dragging on here, Rob. Apologies for that. Is that not all jobs require a degree in cybersecurity? That's right. There are a lot of jobs uh, that. Uh, you can do very, very well if you have an aptitude for work, if you have a, an understanding and you're willing to work, work hard towards that. You don't need massive certifications or qualifications behind you. Yeah. With I that, I'll show maybe, up. maybe most jobs even. So it's change in the recruitment yeah. process would make a big difference. Yes, it would. Right. Tom, do we have a couple a minutes to ask questions from the audience? Yeah, go for it. Did, who had, who had, someone over here had a hand up. Was it lady here? Hi. And um, I'm pretty much behind your point. Um, one for both uh, Richard and Franny. Um, we definitely need to change education. We can't keep teaching the same things. Um, You're good. You keep going. And then the other one is, I agree with you guys about not a lot of um, positions required to have all these certifications or to education. The problem is that this is what you're thinking as a manager or as a leader but you're not doing the HR department. So when are we gonna sit with HR and really work on the process? Because the statistics tell me two things. It tells me that there is a lack of workforce because we have a lot of positions open that are not fulfilled. But then the, the other side, when um, lower positions um, or people for lower positions are applying for these positions, they're having a hard time getting to that interview. They don't even get through the HR. So that is the main problem I see right now with our positions in security. Yeah. It's, it's like it, it's a battle that has to be one one company at a time, unfortunately. And you know, frankly, maybe you know we're not the right ones in the room because what really what we need is to be at like the the SHRM, the Society of Human Resource Managers meeting, like telling them how, how to train, retrain the HR recruiters to, to really ask managers these hard questions. Hey, this was on the previous job description. Does it still need to be here? Can we take this degree off? But it is a one company. I'll tell you, like the places I've run, we've, gotten, we've taken those things off the job descriptions. But it's one company at a time, right? We need, we need to maybe move faster, maybe move better. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The other thing is, as hiring managers, I think it's important that you, if you can, uh, hire for jobs that require zero experience to get the job. That I mean, it, it's a we're killing ourselves in cybersecurity that an entry level job requires three years of experience, right? That that right that it's it doesn't that that's impossible. Like you, you can't do that, right? So um, again, it, it's more of a one company, one manager at a time thing, but. Um, you know, I have purposefully made entry-level jobs that require zero previous experience because 
you need to get people in the door. You have to be willing to, to take the time to, to upskill people and, and get them in the door and, and get moving. Yeah, and I'll just add to that. Uh, I think there's a disconnect between HR and hiring managers, what hiring managers would actually want. When I was hiring people, I was looking for certain things, but HR was filtering it because they, I was hiring in at a certain salary, mm -hmm. right? And in order to attract someone at the right level in cybersecurity, I needed to pay twice as much as a simple developer, right? Um, so therefore, they were making this a senior managerial role or a senior director role, when in actuality, it was a, is a, it was a junior role. So we had that kind of grade inflation in order to meet salary bands, and that's particularly noted where security reports into the technology organization under the CIO, right? Well, the other thing, if you're not hiring at those entry-level jobs, the people that you are hiring that have three years degree, degree or three years experience, they're like, why am I doing this? I was doing this three years ago. And they'll leave because you're not challenging them and it's a, it's a uh, you know, career-limiting move to stay and mm -hmm. doing things that are below your skill level. Yeah, you got you to create that ladder for people to move up. I, I think I saw a question over there. Was that Joe? Two more, and then we got to close it up. Maybe three. Hi. Um, this may be more for podcast listeners, but um, I would encourage young people looking for uh, a breakthrough to get involved, right? And that is get involved in conferences. Um, not all of them are paid for. Get involved in meetup groups. Get involved, what is it, uh, Girls That Code, that sort of thing. There's a lot of things you can do to, uh, you know, it's not the formal way to get, uh, you know, we have secure set here in Denver, that sort of thing. So um, just a kind of a call out to people who ask me regularly how to get involved. I'm like, start showing up at a meetup, which, what, you know, you like to code, you want to learn about Java, you want to learn about, you know, cloud security, et cetera. Um, ISSA, ISACA, there's all sorts of things to get involved in and just uh, learn directly from experts. And there's plenty of people that will mentor. I'd say don't just show up, volunteer. Yeah, the, well if, said. If you're, yeah. Willing, if you're willing to volunteer, every group wants you. Say what you're going to do and do it, and, and you'll, you'll be adding value. You'll be creating great relationships. It's really good advice. Good point, Joe. Thanks. We had another question? Question near the back. Way in the back. Two in the back, it looks like. Maybe our last two? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all for uh, lending your voice. I really appreciate it. Um, so I really want to talk more about like the four-year degree. And Richard's question is really, I want you to answer it first. So how can um, certifications become as relevant as four-year degrees? So, so I, think, uh, I think there's a difference between you know, a degree and academic uh, qualification versus a certification. Academic qualifications tend to be very broad, right? They give you a very broad uh, education across uh, an entire technology discipline from you know, the technology architecture to project management to, to whatever, right? Certifications tend to be more pointly uh, pointed and focused, right? Whether it's a SANS GAIC or a, you know a, 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 an ISACA certification or, or whatever, um, is there a role for both? Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, I don't think that they command the same uh, same power in in the eyes of recruiters right now. But maybe that's something that we need to look at, right? So how could they? That's your question. How how could they? I mean, get the mic. But start yeah, again, because please. I like I understand that um, colleges and institutions like they have their own like criteria and they're tried and true. Whereas like 
oftentimes when we see some boot camps and certs, they've been around for maybe 10 years. So you have 10 years versus 120 years in some institutions, right? So it's like, you have the time is against you, but what about relevancy? Especially mm -hmm. if we think about like, in academia, you have to focus on like, oh, can I get through this bureaucracy? Can this course be added? Whereas in a certification program, it's in real time, right? So like, if that's a pro of the certification and that ne not necessarily colleges and universities can like stay to that level, like how, where's the relevancy, I guess, is what I'm trying to understand. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we've been trying to do is we have, um, across our company, we have a career architecture that lays out the levels and the job types and things like that. And um, for, for each one of the levels, um, I've been trying to put equivalency for, uh, for sort of three different things. You know, one is, uh, one is a degree, one is uh, boot camp or s some sort of less formal um, or lengthy um, type of, uh, of education and, uh, and certifications. And trying to say, you know, okay, for this level, we think we sh we could have any combination of these sorts of things to try and I think to your point, make those things more equivalent, right? Like, d does a do you know two entry level certifications mean the same thing as um, as a bachelor's degree, or um, or is it three certifications? You know, wh whatever it might be to try and uh, level set what we would be looking for for each of these types of things not just it has to be a degree or things like that to, to, I think your point, make it somewhat equivalent across the different ways that people can, can become educated and get into a profession. We, um, and I also like the question about the agility of getting mm -hmm. the, I mean, this stuff is changing so quickly and our structure in a four-year degree program is, is lagging, so is there, a, is there actually a benefit more than, you know, like, oh, well, four-year degree would be great, but, or would be better than, I mean, it seems like certifications would be better in some instances. I, I mean, I, I think, to my, my, I think secure set, like the, the boot camp type of a set is, is probably the, the nice combination of the two, where my problem with certifications is, I don't know what you, what you actually did. Like, you, you answered some questions, right? Like, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you have experience to back up those questions. Maybe you cheated. I don't know. Like, it's just so hard to know. And, and, but a four-year degree, like, you're, you know, you're going to take some English classes along the way, right? And, and I, I think a boot camp is just really focused on, we're going to teach you some skills that make you good at this thing. I think that that's a really nice middle ground where I know you're getting hands-on. You're probably learning how to do the job pretty well. It's not as broad as a degree, it's, it, but it's, it's a whole lot more than just answering questions. All right, I know, I think we're about out of time. We have one, one more question. One more question. Or, a gentleman sitting in the middle of the back there. Yeah, I just wanted to make a couple of comments. When you talk about degrees versus certifications, one of the big issues with degrees is that, A, they're expensive, as uh, Franny was pointing out. Not everybody has $60,000 a year to go to school. The other problem is that most of the time, they're actually outdating the information you learn. Uh, for instance, I, I know the professor Richard had said that once you get a degree, it's always valid. You don't have a three-year research cycle. You don't have CEUs. Mm -hmm. Well, I got my master's degree in IT and cybersecurity back in 2011. We didn't even talk about cloud computing because it just came on the scene. And, 2009, 2010, and it wasn't updated in the textbooks yet. So just seeing a degree, honestly, doesn't help as an employer, because most of the time, if you have something, I know people who had an IT degree from the 80s or 90s. Mm. They're not relevant today, right? Where a certification is. The other challenge you have with the certification, though, as you said, is there's paper tigers, there's people who are cheating. And so that's becoming on the certification industry to change that and do more hands-on testing. 
And really the benefit of a certification from an HR perspective is that I know you have a minimum level of knowledge. You can at least be a member of my team, you can speak the language, if you get a security plus, you know the terms, you know the ability. You may not be able to configure a firewall, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but at least you know what it is, right? And so for those entry level jobs, it's really important. The people who are really doing this best to solve this cybersecurity issue right now is the federal government, because with the military, they're bringing people off the street with no degree, no certification, they give them training for a year, year and a half, they put them to work for four or five years, and then most of those people get out. 83% of the people get out in the first four to six years, and they are the ones who are going into industry. And so that's where most of the people are coming from with those three to five year entry level experience. But it is becoming this huge barrier to entry because not everybody can do the military. And the big problem is most companies aren't willing to bring somebody on and train them for three months, six months, or nine months uh, to get them up to speed. And so how do we solve that? It's really gonna be a culture change across our industry. We need to start thinking about cybersecurity more like an electrician or a plumber, where you're going to a nine-month internship at a low-cost community college and not a master's degree. I've yeah. seen so many people who apply with a four-year degree from bachelor's degree, and then they go two more years to get a master's degree. They spent $200,000, they have a master's degree, and they've never held a job, and they can't do anything, even though they have a master's degree in cybersecurity. I'd rather have somebody who spent six months in a boot camp or a community college, has two or three certifications, who can actually do something and is ready to learn and be on the job. So anyway, just wanted to tie together all the things you guys said. Sounds Hopefully to be, that's helpful. Sounds to be like the answer is just to hire the people who, as they leave the military, already got that training. Guys, this has been a really great panel. I wanted to say thank you to our panelists. the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.